He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And fellas, we have a great PGA Championship to recap today. Unbelievable golf out there. All the storylines you could possibly ask for up at Oak Hill in Rochester, New York. It was definitely one to remember. Brooks Kepka is your PGA champion. And fellas, I mean, just a rock solid final round. Now, it got a little dicey there in the middle. Around six and seven, you know, he made the bogeys, but then got the birdie at 10, but then bogeyed 11. That's okay. Birdied 12, birdied 14, birdied 16, and that pretty much shut the door on Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler. He did make a bogey at 17, but finishes the golf tournament at nine under par. What were your thoughts, T-Dub, on what you saw from Brooks Kepka today? I thought it was a master class in how to finish out a golf tournament and shut the door on the guys chasing you. It truly was just elite golf almost every single realm of endeavor. I mean, come out birdie in three of the first four holes and then I hit a pretty poor drive on six, but then was able to make a bogey. It's actually a really good bogey. You don't say that very often, but in a major championship, getting out of there with less than a six was, was pretty solid. And, I mean, what did he make? He made seven birdies on the day. I mean, if you do that in the final round of a major championship, you're going to be sitting very pretty. And then also on 11, for him to be able to plug in that bunker and hit that miraculous shot out of there, almost made one of the best pars you'll ever see. And then his par on 13, the par five, was such a huge momentum putt because Javi had made that birdie on that hole as well, Woody, to uh, to really steal a little bit of momentum. But uh, but then he drove it on the, on the short par four, 14th, and then was able to 16th where everything really changed with Javi making that double, plugging into the face of that lip. Kepka was able to make a birdie and had a, a what was a four-shot lead at that point in time. So, uh, I mean, just he just had such control over his entire game, gained a, a full shot in every single category off the tee, approach around the green, and putting Woody. It's one of the – more special performances that I can remember just of being able to control your golf ball in a major championship. Very similar to what John Rahm did at the Masters, where it was just you had to go out there and beat the guy, and, and no one else was able to do it. I think if you watch that golf tournament, and for the people out there that did watch it, they're listening to us now, those guys hit some wayward shots. They don't just strike every golf ball. But when they do, they figure out how to minimize the damage let's just say. Victor's double, that was a little bit of a bad break. We got to say that because this is the first major where Brooks went out and won it. I don't think Victor lost it. I think that Hovland played some pretty good golf today, but Brooks Kepka was so focused. And you know what? The Masters, he might have let that one get away, but he wasn't going to let this one get away. And you could just tell how focused he was. He felt good about his golf game and I think he won that golf tournament yesterday in the rain. He played so good in that rain, and, you know, he didn't let it get away. Today was super solid, but I think he won the golf tournament yesterday. What do you make a bunch of good points there? Yes, Victor Hovland 
did get up and down every single time he needed to. Every putt was center cup. I was really proud of Victor Hovland, him being an Oak Tree National guy out here. I mean, that was awesome stuff to watch coming down the stretch. It was a little eerie watching him on 16 in that fairway bunker literally doing the exact same thing that Corey Connors did yesterday in the third round on 16, hitting it into the lip of the bunker and it plugging up there. He ends up making double. We'll get into more Victor Hovland stuff, T-Dub, but I want to talk about the historical factor of Brooks winning this 2023 PGA Championship. He now joins Seve Ballesteros, Peter Thompson, Byron Nelson, John Henry Taylor and James Braid as players to win five major championships. And Brooks also joined Sam Sneed and Gene Saracen as players to win three PGA championships. Obviously, Tiger had four, Jack had five, and Walter Hagen had five as well. And then as far as the significance of this year's PGA headed into the future T-Dub, I mean, now the circuit that doesn't have any official world golf ranking points that puts on exhibitions littered with washed up players that no one cares about and the same one that the golf media never talks about, that live circuit, T-Dub, now has two out of the last three major championship winners. And I mean, the history of it all, Brooks winning, joining those great names, the things that might change in the future as far as live and the official world golf ranking and the PGA Tour goes. I mean, this win was just massive for so many different reasons, right, T-Dub? Well, the historical context of where it puts Kepka, the all-time rankings is definitely something that can be debated for, for a long time now because he's had such a unique career. I mean, with five major championships, but I mean, they showed it earlier from live from his win percentage in tournaments that were not on the PG or that were uh, non-major events is 2.9%. In comparison, they showed Tiger and Jack. Tiger had a 23.8%, which was just absolutely astronomical. And then Jack had a 14% chance. But you look at how they did majors. Kepka's a 14% win rate. Tiger's 16 and Jack is 14. So very, very unique career that Kepka's had. So it definitely can you know, figure out where to start up that. I mean, you, you mentioned the guys that have five majors. I mean, uh, Braid and Henry Taylor played over 100 years ago, so it's going to be kind of hard to compare those two. But then the likes of legends like Byron Nelson and Ballesteros and Peter Thompson, also a very underrated player from Australia. I mean, he's definitely in that category of theirs. Then you look at guys even with six majors. I mean, Phil, Faldo, Lee Trevino, if he's able to get one more, maybe he's probably one of the top three favorites at L.A. Country Club coming up next month. So, I mean – He's definitely got time to uh, build on this legendary career. He's uh, he's still only 33 years old. But one thing that's interesting about it, Woody, is that you look at how he's fared in the all-time analytics rankings, or at least this goes back to, I believe, 1990, something like that. And he only ranks 45th all-time there just because he played so bad in every tournament that wasn't a big tournament. But whenever you get him in a major championship, he's a completely different guy. So uh, I don't know, Woody, you've seen a, a lot more golf in your time than I have. I mean, where would you think Kepka ranks in the uh, amongst the greatest to ever do it? The hard thing about when you talk about the greatest golfers ever, I think we always we migrate to the majors. That's where I migrate to. A guy that wins 20 times on the PGA Tour but never wins a major doesn't seem to me is a guy that you go one of the greatest. When you start putting in only 20 guys have won five or more majors, that's a different echelon of players. You know, to bash Brooks because he doesn't play the Phoenix Open well, <laughs> I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think the guy's just one of those kinds of people that his mindset is 
I want to win major championships. I don't really care about the uh, the Phoenix Open or the Byron Nelson or whatever it is. That's just not on his radar. What's on his radar is majors. So he won four starting in 2019 over a 23-month run there. He won four of them, right? His last one, well, his last one was in 2019. So he's been four years without it. But for all of us that watch the Netflix series, would you have ever dreamed listening to this guy laying on his couch saying the things he was talking about with his golf game, would you ever believe he would have competed at the Masters and probably could have won it pretty easily and then went to PGA? That's what's astounding to me is this young man has that ability, doesn't he? He can just pull it out of his fanny when those majors come. It really is unbelievable, and now that he's healthy, he is getting the job done again. And in 2023, T-Dub, he's gaining about a shot and a half on the field on the greens per round and over a shot and a half on the field with the iron strokes gained approach per round and then off the tee, almost a full shot off the tee as well. Brooks Kepka is back, and he has that look in his eye. And by the way, Woody, this is our time to kind of do our you know Jim Traber impression and give it up to ourselves. We both did pick Brooks Kepka at the start of the week to win this PGA Championship, but I think one of the reasons is both of us saw last week the ball striking clinic that he was putting on, not only on the range when you were there, Woody, but throughout the week at Live Tulsa, you saw a lot of great things coming. We saw what it was at Augusta National. It looked really solid. And last week, it looked like he just wasn't really focused on Live Tulsa. It looked like he wanted to compete and do his absolute best at Oak Hill. He just had that look in his eye and, and kind of had that attitude about him last week, T-Dub. And I love where Brooks Kepka's game is headed into the future. I honestly do not think we're done seeing Brooks Kepka win major championships. And I know that he has five, and that's literally a first ballot Hall of Fame career. He already was before this tournament, but definitely now. But T-Dub, I don't think he's done. I really don't. Yeah, at one point I, I was really high on the train. I never thought he'd win a major again. I mean, with the injuries and everything that he was going through, what I saw at Southern Hills, I thought, man, this guy, he's just he just doesn't have it anymore. But it just shows that how much that knee was really bothering him. And you can tell, as you're alluding to, he's really healthy now. Really didn't hit the ball particularly well off the tee today. He gained almost a full shot there. A lot of those, uh, what, two or three loose drives he hit in particular. But he gained almost over three shots approach, which is something that was kind of the opposite of what we saw at Augusta, right? He had a good iron play early in the week and then kind of let it go on the on the final couple of days, but no, was able to be extremely solid today, which is good to see. And uh, I'll, I'll, ju- I'll jump on y'all's train and give it up to yourself as well. Brooks was one of my one-and-done picks. I didn't pick him to win the tournament, but he was one of my one-and-done picks, which is really the thing that matters because it's the only thing we have that has cash involved. So, Woody, uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump on y'all's train of uh, doing the gym trade, but y'all can get on the, the first class row, but I'll, I'll ride economy. That'll be okay with me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. No, no, you deserve that because I don't think any one of us. And like you said up there at Liv, I think that was just practice for him. He was not focused on winning that Liv golf tournament. I really, truly don't believe that. He had his mind already in Rochester. He was he was geared towards that. And yet we still saw how good he is, right? So once he gets that mindset, where he thinks he can win those things at will again. And we've only played two, and guess what? He's got a first and a second. 
So to think that he's done, uh, we'd be stupid to think he's done. I mean, I don't know how you don't look at him in L.A. next month and then at the British Open in, in July. I, I, I truly think he's got to be in our radar on both those. Yeah, and, and also for the Ryder Cup. He, he was 22nd in the Ryder Cup point standings. Now he's in second in the Ryder Cup point standings, easily inside that top six that is automatically locked into the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Man, I mean, what a start to the season for one Brooks Kepka. We'll talk a lot more about Brooks Kepka later on in the show, but let's dive more into this leaderboard, T Dub. Let's talk about the guys that tied for second. Victor Hovland. Let's start off with him. Finishes seven under for the golf tournament, shot two under in the final round. It was so rock solid all day, T Dub. He birdied four and five, did have a bogey at seven, but then you know, had the birdies at 13 and 14, both great up and downs there. I was really impressed with Victor Hovland. And then, like we talked about, just the unfortunate break in that right bunker on 16, plugged it in the lip of the bunker, ends up making double there. But then the silver lining with Victor is at least he did make the birdie putt at 18 to vault him up into a tie for second with Scotty Scheffler at seven under. So at least he can go home with a little bit of a good taste in his mouth, tying for second with Scotty Scheffler. But I really, I I truly do not believe that Victor Hovland lost this golf tournament today. Yes, he did have a double late on Sunday. Most of the time that that happens, you would say that, oh, that guy lost the golf tournament. I don't think that's what I saw today. He just made too many clutch putts and too many clutch up and downs. His chipping looked phenomenal, and it looked like he trusted it, T-Dub. To me, I think that this is a big-time confidence builder for Victor Hovland headed forward. If you would have said before the round that uh, Hovland was going to gain more than a shot and a half around the greens and then more than two shots on the greens, I probably would have said he was going to win the tournament. But ironically, what led him down is probably the best part of his game, which is his driving. I mean, he lost almost a shot and a half in that category, I mean, the drive on seven, which was way to the right, left him a long ways in, actually had to lay up short of the creek, and then obviously on 16, putting in that fairway bunker was his ultimate downfall. But but early in that middle part of the round, especially on 10 and 11, I thought he hit very good putts that just didn't go in. And so you think at the time, well, he needs to make those to take advantage of it. But then also at the same time, I was thinking, well, if he just keeps hitting good putts, maybe they'll eventually go in. Then on 13 and 14, that was exactly the case, which was able to make a little bit – of a run at Kepka, but uh, but Woody, it was it's pretty ironic as Sam was alluding to earlier. That was literally the exact same thing on 16 that happened to Corey Connors yesterday. It almost went in the exact same pitch mark. It's pretty unique to see that uh, in the final group on both those days that uh, an event like that occurred. Unfortunately, it happened to a, a guy like Hovland, who I know a lot of people around here uh, were rooting for, and uh, I definitely know the PJ Tour fans were rooting for him as well. Well, we said, well, at least I said that he's going to win in the United States, and and he's going to win a major too. He just He's there every week. Every time a major comes around, he's on the top of the leaderboard. So, you know, I guess it's like anything. Some guys are lucky enough the first few times they get around a, a, a major and they're on the leaderboard where they win. Uh, Jordan Spieth was one of those guys. Looks like every time he got near, he found a way to win. And Victor will get there. That was solid play, though, gentlemen. I saw a much different Victor Hoblin in the final round of a major than I've ever seen. I saw a guy that was calm. I saw a guy that was collected. Uh, I saw a guy that was playing his game, that was hitting good golf shots. If 
Victor Hovland can ever figure out how to make 20 to 25 footers consistently, he's going to be another guy that's going to a lot of golf tournaments and a lot of majors. Yeah, I think his time is coming just by default. You can't hit the ball that good in so many major championships. I just feel like his time is is destined to happen, fellas. Um, The guy that he tied with in second place in this PGA Championship at Oak Hill was Scotty Scheffler, and this was kind of a, a backdoor top two, if that's even a thing, fellas, but... Scotty Scheffler goes out there, he birdies seven and eight to go two under on his round, did have a bogey at nine, but then came right back with a birdie at 10, a birdie at 13, a birdie at 14, and then capped it off with a birdie at 18 to shoot a 65, five under in his final round. And he did make it a little interesting uh, for Brooks, at least when Brooks was around, you know, Number 13, when Brooks was playing like 13, he made par on that par five, but then Brooks came back with clutch birdies at 14 and 16 to kind of shut the door, but it was getting a little dicey there, and and one of the reasons was because the world number two, Scotty Scheffler, was rising up that leaderboard, shooting five under in that final round. I was really impressed with what I saw from Scotty today. You know, really, I only saw him hit one bad putt today. I thought the putter was pretty solid all day. And T-Dub, I mean, he's definitely a guy that is going, just like Victor Hovland, probably even, definitely even more so, he's one of the best, if not the best, ball striker in the world. He's just going to be in the top five of major championships by default, and it's just a matter of whether he makes putts at the right time, T-Dub. Well, what he was mentioning earlier that he felt like Kepka won the tournament yesterday, and I feel like he's the exact same with Scotty Scheffler losing the tournament. I mean, he played absolutely tremendously today, gained more than a shot and a half approach and off the tee, and then gained more than a full shot uh, putting and around the green. So, really, couldn't have drawn up uh, a much better uh, around tied the tied the low round of the day, shooting uh, the five under sixty five. I did have the only bogey on eight, but he or on number nine. But even then. I just felt like he was starting this uh, tournament too far or this final round too far back, Woody. I mean, only coming in at two under. I, I, I mentioned on the radio show today, I thought Kepka would get to eight under to win. He actually got one better up to nine. So, Scotty, I mean, he still would have had to shoot 64 to even get that to tie what I thought. Would have had to shoot 63 today to get Kepka, which would have definitely been uh, one of the more miraculous rounds that we've ever seen in a major championship history. So, I mean, as much as you were saying, Woody, that uh, Kepka won the tournament yesterday, Scotty Sheffler definitely lost it on that front nine. That third round was big in a lot of ways for a lot of different players, especially for Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler, though, is so good now, guys. And when we talk about John Rahm, we talk about Scotty Scheffler. We we get kind of enamored with how good Rahm is. Well, we need to be just as enamored of how good Scotty Scheffler is. Um, more consistent than John Rahm. When John Rahm's on, he's pretty tough to beat. But Scheffler's just so consistent and plays so good. When I talked to you guys this morning on on your on your show that today on uh, WWLS, we talked about who was going to maybe make a move, and I said Justin Rose. I thought, but I also was really high on Scotty Scheffler. The golf tournament was Victor's and Brooks's to win, and both went out and played really good golf. Uh, you know, how do you say a guy shoots sixty seven, a guy shoots sixty eight? Uh, there's not going to be anybody catch them when they have that lead. When you have a lead like that, the only way you can lose it is if you shoot 73. And that's what Scotty did in the third round. Shoot 73, and guess what? You just can't afford to do that. What's funny, guys, though, is 
we heard that the, there was no way the live guys would be able to compete in the majors because they're only playing 54 holes and they're not going to be sharp and they're not going to be this and they're not going to be that. Well, let's see. We had the Masters where Brooks almost won and Mickelson finished second, okay? And now we've had this one where Kepka wins and DeChambeau finishes fourth. Um, I think, didn't Cam Smith get in the top ten? Cam Smith tied for ninth, five under on the day as well. Okay, so I guess that theory's no good, that they since they play 54 whole exhibitions, they're going to lose how sharp they are. I would love to ask the other guys on the PGA Tour, do these guys look kind of like they're not sharp to you? Because I'd be curious to hear what they say. <laughs> it's they like Taylor said. It, it's like, yeah, it's like Taylor Gooch said on our podcast. He said, how about you ask you know, the top 60 players in the official world golf ranking whether I should be in the U.S. Open or not. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into more of that kind of storyline after the break, guys. Uh, one storyline that really, I think, touched every golf lover's heart today was – Michael Block. And I mean, how could you not root for this guy? And obviously, the club pro from Mission Viejo, California, played in the 2018 U.S. Open, but has played some PGA Tour tournaments, but, you know, makes most of his money, or at least made most of his money, you know, giving lessons throughout his career in Mission Viejo. Michael Block, all he did was go out there today, paired with Rory McIlroy in the final round of a major championship, and he did bogey number one, chalked that up to nerves, but then his only bogey was at the tough number seven, and then he parred every single hole until he arrives to the 15th tee box, the par three, and fellas, I don't know if I've ever seen a scene quite like this where the the fan favorite, and by the way, every single fan, I don't care if it's a Live fan or a PGA Tour fan or a fan of Rory or a fan of Brooks, fellas, every single person and every single golf fan was rooting for Michael Block to finish in the top 15, and he's two over on his round, headed into number 15, and dunks it. And I mean an absolute swish, fellas. It barely even messed up the hole at the front of the hole. Absolutely dunks it. Gets a hug from Rory McIlroy. They showed the video of his club back in Mission Viejo going nuts. They showed it to him after the round. It was an absolutely tear-jerking interview that Amanda Balionis gave. I thought that was a great interview from CBS after the round. A lot of people, I know that some people were saying that they spent too much time on it. Not me. I, I honestly enjoyed Michael Block getting his moment after years and years of helping people improve their golf games and and fellas I mean this is one of those stories that you just love to see in the game of golf but anyways he bogeys after acing number 15 he bogeys 16 after hitting it in the bunker uh, had to lay up bogeys 16 and then on 18, fellas. He hits it in the right rough off the tee box and hits it way left, short-sided to the you know back left pin on 18. Has to hit it up over the bunker after they moved all of the crowd over there. I, I mean, if you do not believe in God, this was an absolute God or golf God thing, fellas, for him to hit the most amazing flop shot I've ever seen. Lands it perfectly in the rough you know, runs out to about eight feet and then trickles in the par putt to finish tied for 15th. Well, what's the significance of that, T-Dub? 
That means he gets into the PGA Championship next year in 2024 at Valhalla. I thought that that was just an awesome story today to go along with the great championship, uh, you know, with Brooks obviously winning. But I thought that that was the the second biggest storyline of the day, in my opinion. Well, there's zero doubt about it. And anyone who says they spend too much time on it, I mean, I don't know what in the world is wrong with you. I mean, it was super awesome. I mean, it's something that I don't know when we'll ever see something like this again. I mean, a club pro even just being able to qualify for next year's PGA is something. But the way that he did it, not just making a hole in one, but just absolutely dunking it right into the center of the cup, not even making a divot. I mean, on the very last part three of the major championship, on the 69th hole of the tournament, you do this. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And then as Sam was talking about the up and down that he made on 18, but also the one he did on 17, too. He had a layup in the middle of the fairway and get up and down from there. Had to make about uh, another eight-footer on that hole. So, I mean, Woody, the finish that he had was absolutely legendary. And that hole-in-one, we're going to see that thing replayed. I mean, probably a million times for the the rest of our lives. I mean, it was just absolutely legendary. And without a doubt, I mean, Kepka winning his fifth major is definitely number one. But, I mean, Michael Block is 100% number two, and I only think it's even close. Life-changing. You don't, you don't use that term very often. But having played PGAs, like I talked to you guys earlier today, the only way I got him was as a club pro. And, you know, guys, there's probably 25 guys that are club pros across this country that have the game that could finish in the top 15, but they'd have to have everything go their way. Everything's got to be perfect that week. And to me, that's what Michael Block had. Is, is he a fluke to do that? No. Gosh, no, he's not. But to have that much pressure and actually, Sam, you know, he's played in six majors. He played in four PGAs, I believe, and two U.S. Opens, but had never made the cut in any of them. Wow. Okay? I think this was his seventh major. So it's not like this guy didn't have some game, but he probably made, I'm going to guess, Three hundred and thirty, three hundred forty thousand. I got a number for you, Woody. Here, two hundred and two hundred seventy-three thousand. Two hundred seventy-three thousand. And you know, listen to this. So it would take two thousand three hundred and seven of those lessons that he was given at Mission Viejo oh. to to yeah. equal that. Uh, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand plus. Yeah, yeah. So to say that's changed his world a little bit, and. And I thought it was cool that his members were back there. It's a public golf course. He's not at a private country club. And and that those, all those members are pulling for him. And so I know having played as a club pro, how important it was to play as best you could. I never finished tied to 15th. You know, I was able to make a couple of cups, and my members thought that was special. So I, I just think when you see storylines like that, it it is – it is, you know, almost the hand of God. I, I truly believe, like you said, Sam, that this week was so perfect for this guy. You know what? He's going to be back there at his Mission VAO country club or, or golf course, wherever that is. And he'll be back there by tomorrow or the next day. And you know what? He'll be in there selling balls and giving $150 lessons. <laughs> and and he'll be he'll be okay because this, this, this guy had his head on straight, you know what he said about playing that he loves the game so much. He loves it more than anybody at that tournament. I, I believe that too. So is that a big story? You're darn right. It is. It, it, it's going to be something that he'll talk about 
forever, and so will all the people that are, that are at his club out there in California. The only thing that's sad about it is that Governor Newsom's going to take a big chunk of that, and he doesn't deserve one penny <laughs> because he didn't hit one shot. But he'll have no problem pillaging his his bank account whenever that guy gets back to California. But but good for him. It meant a lot to me as a club pro to watch one play that well. I I, I just I love that storyline. I thought it was great. Oh, it was. It was absolutely awesome. Now, Woody, I, I think we're going to disagree on this, but I, I, I don't strongly have a point of view here. And my question that I got to ask you, Woody, while we're still talking about Michael Block is there's talk of the PGA Championship cutting it to only 10 PGA club pros that get into the PGA Championship. And personally, Woody, I would be in favor of that because of one reason. There's guys like a Brandon Grace on Live that we saw last week that didn't get into the PGA Championship this week. I, I just feel like sometimes those 10 spots would be better used for a guy that is a full-time golfer, um, a full-time professional golfer that does have a more legitimate chance to win now this week. Obviously, Michael Block put on a great performance, and it was about as as good as you're ever going to see. Top five ever as far as club pros go, finishing in the PGA Championship. But Woody, what would your you know playing devil's advocate to to me be as far as still allowing the 20 club pros to to play in the PGA Championship? Damn, way back when they was actually they used to take 40. Then they went to 35. Then they went to 20. And here's the deal. As as golf has grown and it's gotten so big and the money is so big and this, this livelihood that these guys are playing for is so important to them, if you cut it back to 10, it wouldn't break my heart. It would break my heart for the poor guy that finishes that first year as 11th that doesn't get to play a major championship. Because if I don't do anything else my whole life, I know I got to play in major championships. And one of the reasons I did was because I was a club pro. So I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate. I get it uh, at least, but please don't keep cutting it. If, if you go to 10, let's just leave it at 10. Leave that alone. Uh, 10 is fair. 10 is fair for the club pro. 10 is fair for the touring pro. But for goodness sakes, don't cut those guys out of that chance to possibly play in a major championship. I just don't want that to happen. So, and yeah, it's probably fair. I'd like 15, but, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to argue for it because I'm sure as heck not going to play in one ever again. So, uh, from that standpoint, yeah, I want them to get some, but cutting it back wouldn't hurt. No. What are your thoughts on that, Tito? One thing I would say for Devil's Advocate, and I said this on the radio show this morning, is that I feel like if if you have a, a pro at your club who played in a major championship, that could potentially help grow the game in the sense of, oh, well, this guy played in the PJ Championship. Oh, maybe I should take a lesson from that guy. And all of a sudden, he continues to play golf for the rest of his life or he gets other family members into it. So I, I think cutting it back, in all honesty, if they went to 15, that's probably all right. I think 10's a little less. I mean, I feel like that it's kind of a tradition – in the PGA Championship to have those guys there, even though only one of them made the cut. But, I mean, like you mentioned of Brendan Grace earlier, I mean, would he have a chance to finish top 10 at this tournament? I mean, maybe, but he wasn't going to win. He wasn't going to go out and beat Kepka this week. So, right. even the guys that you let in the tournament aren't 
I mean, unless one out of a, a Sean McKeel type of situation would go out and win the tournament. So I guess it's halfway plausible. But more, more than likely, it wasn't going to make much of an impact. So I feel like that the overall impact that it could have on the game of golf, at least for this major, I, I feel like would be better. Because, I mean, even if they wanted to make those other 10 guys, I mean, you could just add 10 spots. I mean, there's already 160 players into it. I don't see why you can't just add a couple more if that's going to be your end goal. So, no, I, I, I feel like 15 is the least that I would be happy with if they cut it down. If they went down to 10, as they're talking about, I feel like that would be a, a not a drastic mistake, but it would be uh, it would not be good for the game of golf. The PGA Golf Organization or the PGA Club it it's changed. It's not what it was when I first became a PGA member. You don't really have a lot of really good players anymore. That's not where the PGA has gone. The PGA has gone to general managers and uh, managers of clubs. They have gone away from, they'll tell you that we're going to grow the game. Well, they've missed. Because you grow the game by getting people to the golf course, teaching them to play better, and then going out and playing golf with them. That's the one thing I hate about the PGA of America right now. They've Walmarted our organization. They've let too many people be a member of it. And golf is not the high point. The, the club pro, the guy going out and playing golf at a high level, is not that big a deal anymore. It's not even a part of the resume anymore. So that's why I'm not ashamed to say cut it back because they've already ruined so many opportunities for guys that could play a little bit well that guy that goes out and plays tournaments and, and goes out and plays with the members and he's on the golf course a lot sure as hell you've got a member that goes well he's never in the golf shop selling me a shirt well that's the worst member you could ever ask for if you've got a guy that's that good let him play golf that's what he does let him entertain his members so that's why I had to get on my soapbox for just a minute, guys. I apologize for that. But that's why I'm not ashamed to say keep cutting them back because you're not – the PGA of America is not putting out playing golf professionals anymore. They're putting out a bunch of clerks and managers. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that. It, I think – I don't want the PGA professionals to catch the brunt of that blow, but it just bugs me when I look at the live standings and their top 10 and four out of the top 10 guys weren't even in the PGA Woody. And so I, I'm just trying to figure out how to get those guys in. I guess you could add, you know, maybe 10 more spots or something like that instead of cutting it back. But there's already a bunch of guys in the PGA championship. I, I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I don't even really think it's a debate really. I, I think we all enjoy watching the club professionals play, but we also know that, you know, some of these guys like a Charles Howell or a Peter Uline would have a whole lot better chance to, uh, you know, finish higher in the golf tournament. So I don't know. It's an interesting question. T-Dub, do you have any final thoughts on that little discussion that we might hear more about in the coming year uh, as, you know, the PGA has, at least we've heard rumors about them cutting it back? Well, to that point you are making earlier about potentially getting those live guys in, I mean, if they just use a different ranking system to, to evaluate their players because that's what they went off of, I think they have their own foreign criteria. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but they, they go off of essentially it's pretty relevant to their world ranking points. So, I mean, you, you could have flip-flopped a lot of guys who got in this tournament with those names that you mentioned earlier, the U-lines and the Charles House. So I feel like that if you want to cut the pros, the club pros back and, and get 
10 other of those guys in there, or, I mean, whoever the other 10 may be, they could be on PJ Tour as well. I, I just don't think that that's necessarily the best decision. I think the best decision would be whatever rankings you use, use one that actually reflects what the current landscape of the game of golf represents, not this flawed system uh, that they're using now. So, at the end of the day, the best player won this tournament, so it's not going to be that big of a controversy. But uh, I do feel like that, as I was alluding to earlier, the uh, the growth of game that is possible from having someone – uh, playing a major, but but as Woody was mentioning, and he's a hundred percent right. I mean, these guys are more worried about the number of shirts they sell than the, than the score they put on a scorecard, which was drastically different about thirty years ago. So it's uh, that has definitely changed. So Woody does make a solid point, but uh, there still are some guys out there who who can definitely go off their ball. I mean, I think Michael Block was saying that he hits like average one bucket of range balls a week now. So I mean, it's it's not like he's out there grinding away like like he should be. So just imagine how good he could have been if he was able to practice. But uh, but no, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, it, it could potentially hurt it but at the end of the day it's uh, the, the best player won this tournament for sure no doubt about it fellas we need to hit a break here on the 73rd hole podcast but after the break we're going to get everybody's thoughts on what we thought about oak hill up in rochester new york i thought that oak hill was phenomenal we'll, we'll talk about that uh we'll talk about a, a whole lot more stuff i mean there's there are so many storylines from this leaderboard we've only covered really the top three guys on the leaderboard we got to talk about some other guys in this pga championship as well and talk more about the champion of the PGA Championship, Brooks Kepka, after the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. If you are not following us on social media, that's at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. I am at Sam Humphreys34. T Dub, give your Twitter handle as well. T underscore Williams101 Instagram is T Williams underscore 10. Absolutely. And then if you are not subscribed to the 73rd Hole Podcast, definitely make sure you go do that. We got a lot of stuff coming up in the world of golf. We have the Corn Ferry event at Jimmy Austin coming up here in Oklahoma. We also have NCAA National Championship coming up at Greyhawk here in the coming month, really. Uh, So definitely hit that subscribe button and you will just get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. It's absolutely free. So you definitely need to do that. You can find us on golfoklahoma.org and thesportsanimal.com. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you after the break on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. We are back here on the other side of the break on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward recapping this great PGA Championship up at Oak Hill. 
Brooks Kepka, your champion, obviously. We covered a whole lot about it in the first segment, but we did not really talk about the golf course, fellas. And T-Dub, I thought that Oak Hill was an amazing venue. I thought it was very tough, but very fair. And what do I always say on this show about critiquing golf courses? I think that a good golf course rewards good shots and punishes bad shots. And I feel like that's exactly what Oak Hill did this week, T-Dub. I was very, very pleasantly surprised with how fair Oak Hill played this week. Yes, it was tough. I thought that there was a chance when the weather came in that it could have crossed a line earlier on in the week. I'm going, man, it's already tough. Wait till the weather comes in. But to be honest, Oak Hill was phenomenal, and I'm happy for Oak Hill, at least in the modern era. I know they had you know Curtis Strange, Ben Hogan, Jack Nicholas back in the day to win at Oak Hill, but you know, recently they've had, you know, Jason Duffner and Sean McKeel, and now they get a great champion in Brooks Kepka. I, I think it's a really good thing for Oak Hill because I think it really is one of the better golf courses in the United States, T-Dub, and I thought that they had a phenomenal showing this week at the PGA Championship. Oh, it was an absolutely beautiful golf course. I think the Andrew Green restoration job is going to be one that people talk about as being one of the best in recent memory because it was – Maybe it was just the winners of the Sean McKeels and Jason Duffners don't really strike you as, as abundantly great players, but it was I, – I feel like that the course was already so good. The rough was so penalizing. I, it's a perfect example of what I feel like that a good golf course setup would be. Look at the what happened if you missed the fairway. You were so screwed as a joke. So, I mean, that's, that's what you want to do if you're going to – I mean, it's a 70, he played a 7,300 yards today, so it wasn't short by any stretch of the imagination. And today, actually played as by far the easiest day. It played about a shot over par every other day. It played uh, two shots over par, and then the, the first round it actually played 3.6 over par. So the first round was by far the hardest day that they had out there. And uh, I know, Woody, we were talking about on the radio show earlier that you had played it before the restoration. And, uh, I mean, just looking at some of the things that were done, they, the, the number six hole, which played as one of the hardest holes, a major championship history was part of the restoration. They actually, it used to be that the tee box used to be the fifth hole and the green that they have now is pretty close to where the sixth green used to be. So they kind of just mixed and match there and they built a whole new little part three, which was the fifth hole. So it was uh, probably a little bit different than when you played at Woody, but overall, uh, Oak Hill was a major success in my opinion. They don't have it scheduled for another PGA championship as of currently, but I hope that we could just kind of keep this decade trend going. I mean, uh, 2003, we had it. 2013, we had it. 2023, might as well have it in 2033 if we're at it. I think Oak Hill, you're right. Those holes, when I watch today, those holes, they look so different because that's not the holes I played. Um, but I knew that rough. I told you guys about that rough. That it was. It's just the gnarliest stuff I've ever tried to hit out of. And I knew when they had it that thick that this golf course was going to be good. One thing you guys now, I'm dating myself because you guys were really young at this time. They had the Ryder Cup there in 1995. It was the first time the Europeans, one of the first times the Europeans had won on our soil, okay? And it was a big deal. I mean, it was unbelievable. That golf course played really good for that, too. So I've never seen Oak Hill not shine, meaning not be a great, test for really good players I find it a little bit ironic to Sean McKeel and Jason Duffner but Duffner was playing some really good golf when he did win that PGA that that they really hadn't gotten that quality quote quote champion uh, this one they did like you said Sam and that's 
that's that's really neat. And and I thought the weather held up pretty good. I mean, Thursday, I think the reason why part they were three over that the average for scores three over, it was so doggone cold. And I told you guys they can get cold up there. So, but a beautiful day to play golf today. That's why the scores went back down. And uh, Oak Hill, yeah, it won. It won. It was a beautiful golf course and it was a great major championship test no doubt about it and i thought that the pga of america did a great job setting oak hill up as they have really over this past decade fellas we talked about it on the preview show let's talk about it again after jason duffner won at oak hill back in 2013 really to me it's been the second best major in the rotation, I'm always going to put Augusta National and the Masters number one, but to me, I think that the PGA of America has done the best job at identifying the guy who's playing the best golf that week. Let me just list these off for you. You had Rory in 2014. You had Jason Day, Jimmy Walker. Now, that could be a little bit of an outlier here, but then you had Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka twice, Colin Morikawa, Phil Mickelson at Kiowa, and then Justin Thomas again at Southern Hills. And then this year, obviously, Brooks Kepka goes out and wins in historic fashion up at Oak Hill. Guys, I got to say, the PGA right now is the second best major out of the four. T-Dub, do you disagree? I definitely think it's a strong contender. I mean, it's as you mentioned, the past history that it's had over the last decade has been absolutely stellar. The course setups they've had, Obviously, last year, us being at Southern Hills, I definitely had, thanks to, has a lasting memory uh, for all of us as well. That was an extremely special experience to get to see Tiger play and then the playoff with Willie Z and JT. And then Phil winning out as a 50-something-year-old in 2021 at Kiowa. That was very special. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Jimmy Walker years, really the last time that we didn't have an absolutely stellar PGA, did have the one-shot win over Jason Day. Day did make an eagle on the 18th hole there at Baltusrol, which actually ends on back-to-back par fives. It's a pretty... A uh, cool little course, but uh, I mean, look at compar- the comparison. Of the other majors, I mean, the, the Masters is always going to be number one, at least in, in our opinion. I, I think that would be hard to debate any other way. The U.S. Open, I feel like, can get caught up in course setup a little bit too much. We've seen some some failures. I mean, we've seen the likes of uh, Shinnecock. I mean, that was almost twenty years ago now, but that's just a good example. Uh, we had the the infamous DJ situation in Oakmont, which led to the complete rule change that we saw a couple of years later. Um, so, no, it was. I, and then the, the the British Open, I feel like for, for people, it can be some people's favorite because of the tradition of it, and it can be some people's least favorite just because it's such a unique style of golf. So on that, I feel like it's a total preference. But I don't know, for me, Woody, when I just look at overall strength of field and then I just look at course setup and the courses that they go to, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's like kind of picking your opposite of poison at this rate. I mean, they're all just such a, by far the top four golf tournaments in the world and head and shoulders above really anything else, in my opinion. So, But I, I don't know. I think over the last decade, I do think Sam's on the same, and I probably would go PGA number two. What's really helped the PGA as much as anything is the change of the dates. From August, getting it moved to May is going to be a big difference in them going forward because I think they're going to they're gonna shine. And and we talked about Kerry Haig, who sets up the golf courses. He's really good at what he does. He he really does understand, and he looks at all the conditions. So I'm like you guys. I mean, you got four major championships. It, it, it's hard to go one, two, three, four. But 
at this stage, with the PGA being played in May, getting a lot more attention and doing it right, yeah, I think they've I think they've kind of snuck up in there where now the the Open Championship, as we call the British Open, being the last event. It's in July. I, you know, everybody's kind of Fourth of July, and everybody's kind of going about their summer business. Where when the PGA was in August, guys, that was almost football season, and people just really didn't care about golf. So. Kudos to the PGA for figuring out how to get that move to May because that's what's made the difference in my opinion. Hey, I think that that was a great change as well. I like that there's one major per month in the summertime now too. I, I just really enjoy all of the changes you know that the PGA of America has made. You mentioned Kerry Haig. He does a hell of a job setting up these golf courses, and, and I think it shows in, in the guys who have won over the past decade and the – response from each venue i think that it's been an absolute success at every single place that they've gone to i I think that the usga could learn something from what the pga of america has done over the past decade as far as setting up their majors and we're not even talking about the strength of field that uh obviously there's some issues with the usga as well um but yeah i'd I'd probably rank them if i had to right now masters one pga two open three and, and us open for uh t-dub would you rank them like that well and one thing i've been considering is that whenever you the masters is played the same course every year obviously but i feel like where the venue is at it has a big impact here because i feel like a u.s open at pebble beach is more impactful than a pga championship at state bell reef or something like that or a u.s open at shinnecock or oakmont uh, it has a lot of weight so maybe that has something to do with it because you think about it over the last couple of years in this decade church we've been talking about I mean, we had the Aaron Hills U.S. Open where Brooks Koepka won at 16 under. I mean, that's just an absolute joke in that. Um, 12 years ago, we had Rory winning at 16 under at Congressional. I mean, we had Martin Keimer win at Pinehurst. Um, uh, then we had uh, we had uh, Bryson winning by six shots at Wingfoot, which was actually a pretty legendary performance, but with it being COVID and no fans being there, really hard. And then the, the British Open didn't even have a, a tournament one year because – of the COVID deal. So uh, I feel like that with the U S open going forward, maybe it would have a chance to get back up there if everything goes right. Because in, uh, I believe uh, this year, obviously it's at LA country club next year. It's at Pinehurst, which it went through a restoration about 10 years ago or so. And then Oakmont the next year, Shinnecock and then Pebble beach and then Wingfoot. So, I mean, you've got a very elite group uh, of golf courses in that stretch. So I feel like where the venue is at, Sam has a lot to do with it in comparison to PGA Valhalla next year, Quell Hall of the year after that, Aronimic, which I know you absolutely love. And then we'll get to see uh, P.J. Frisco in 2027, which I know a lot of people around here are dying to see. So uh, to answer your question, I feel like over the last decade, I definitely will probably would put the P.J. number two in there. But I feel like over the next uh, five to ten years, the U.S. Open would have a chance to get back up there just with the courses that they're going to be playing. No doubt about it there. Um, fellas, let's dive into this leaderboard a little bit more. We talked about Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland quite a bit in the first segment. But right there, tied for fourth, you have Cam Davis and then Kurt Kitayama and Bryson DeChambeau. Now, Cam Davis goes out today and shoots five under par after bogeying the first hole. Uh, he had birdies at five, eight, nine, 14, and 17. Just a phenomenal round from the Australian Cam Davis. And then Kurt Kitayama goes out and shoots five under on his round as well. It seemed like five under was kind of the number uh, for some of those guys a, a little bit back to start the day. But Kitayama birdies one, four, five, did have a bogey at six, but then birdies eight, 
and then 12 and 13 to shoot a 65. Big time stuff from him. And then Bryson right there tied for fourth with those two at three under par. Shoots even par on the day. I felt like T-Dub Bryson, if we're going to talk about him first, I felt like he was hitting out of the rough a little bit too much today. He wasn't able to give himself that many great birdie opportunities. Um, it, it just seemed like any time that he got something going, like on, when he birdied five, then he bogeyed seven, or when he birdied eight, then he bogeyed 10 and 12. But then he did play 13 through 18 at one under par to at least get it in at 70 and finish in the top five of the PGA Championship. Uh, A lot of people forget that he finished tied for eighth at the British Open last year. So, you know, really, I mean, it's his best finish in a while in major championships, but he did finish top 10 in a major last year as well. Um, But it's really good to see Bryson DeChambeau playing some solid golf again, and he looks healthy, number one, and he looks confident and happy, number two. He, He really does look like he's found something or at least convinced himself that he's found something teed up oh he definitely has i mean the golf that he's played really since last week at cedar ridge and tulsa has been pretty darn stellar i mean i feel like to have your best stuff on the final round of a major championship whenever you're just starting to get it figured out over the last couple of weeks is going to be a tough ask and i mean as you alluded to earlier he only hit six of the 14 fairways today so he missed eight of them that that's going to lead to a lot of troubling spots on this golf course so he was pretty about neutral on trostane off the tee which how far he hits the ball that's not very good as well and so he was right around neutral on putting as well so just wasn't able to take advantage of even the opportunities that he had of uh, what he so uh, I, I feel like we, we were talking about this earlier on the radio show and, and we were both kind of thinking that Bryson is going to start to get it figured out and he is probably going to win uh I think he's going to win a lift tournament within the next few months and uh, or the next few events at least and then I feel like within the next two to three years as long as he keeps this up and doesn't go on another kind of fluke bad thing which would not shock me one bit by any stretch of the imagination but as long as he stays on the track that he is I do feel like that he's going to keep contending in majors and potentially win one coming up you know the crazy thing is, is we were talking about Traber earlier I think the only guy that Traber hates more than Tiger Woods is Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> so when you when you listen to it, I would get tickled how he can have that big a dislike for a golfer. I mean, I don't know that anybody really dislikes for a any of that. our fans that listen to the podcast outside of the state of Oklahoma. Jim Traver, a guy that I do radio with at the Sports Animal, uh, is is definitely known for his opinionated takes. I would say Woody, right? I would say that's pretty safe way of explaining Traver to anybody that doesn't know him, Bryson is so talented guys when you when you think about all of his career what he's capable of how he can beef up bomb then slim down you know there's very few guys that can go through that many transitions in their bodies and golf games and still be competitive so to say he's not a world-class player is is wrong will he be in majors and competing again yeah oh yeah he's as long as what T-Dub says, as long as he doesn't go off the rails and go do something crazy, I don't know, with Bryson. But if he if he just stays focused on his golf and goes back to playing like real golf and not trying to be some kind of freak, uh, he's good. And he's going to be around. No doubt about it, fellas. Like I said, Cam Davis, Kirk Kitayama, and Bryson DeChambeau tied for fourth at three under par. Then you had Sepp Straka, one of our squares guys, by the way, shoot a five under, a little backdoor top ten for Sepp Straka. And right there tied for seventh place with Sepp Straka was one Rory McIlroy. 
and I thought it was going to be maybe a day for Rory McIlroy after he stripes it right down the middle at one, then hits it to a foot at one, makes birdie. Man, I thought that, you know, this might be one of those days where Rory really contends on a Sunday in a major championship, but what does he do, fellas? It, it, it was so Rory McIlroy of Rory on number two. I mean, he's right in the middle of the fairway and misses the green short side to the right, makes bogey, hits it in the rough to the right, then bogeys number four, which is a par five, does get the birdie at six, but then gives it right back with a bogey at seven. Then he does get on a little bit of a run. He birdied nine and ten, and then birdied 13, but then didn't get the birdie at 14, missed the, you know, six-foot birdie putt at 14 to the right, and then bogeys 15 and pars in to shoot a 69, it was almost like same story, different major for Rory McIlroy, T-Dub, where, yeah, he's in the top 10 of a major, but he really didn't have a chance to win. And I think a lot of it for Rory McIlroy is between the ears. The six inches between the ears, T-Dub, I feel like is where a guy like Brooks Kepka separates himself from a guy like Rory McIlroy. I got to be honest. I got to call it how I see it. Well, I mean, Brooks is just an absolute dog, and, and Rory has shown that he just doesn't, so he had that in him right now, I mean, for whatever reason, which is ironic because you look at it analytically, he was playing the best golf that he'd ever played. I mean, when you look at the metrics at the start of this year, and then his last time he ever stroke play events before this, he hadn't finished in, he hadn't finished very good since the Arnold Palmer back in March. He did have a good finish at the match play, but, I mean, horrible performance at Augusta, horrible performance at the Players' Championship, and really just didn't have didn't have his best stuff over the last couple of weeks for sure, and then had finished 47th. At Quo Hollow, of course, that he absolutely loves and, and relishes. So, but no, I mean, after the first uh, nine holes on Thursday, if you would have said Rory was going to finish this tournament uh, at seventh place, I would have slapped you across the face that you're an idiot because, I mean, he's playing absolutely horrible golf then. But, and Sam, you stole the words exactly out of my mouth and, and when at the start of this final round. When he burns the first hole, I think, oh, man, well, he's going to do some kind of fluky thing, kind of like JT did last year and come back and win this thing. And, and the shot he hit on two from the fairway was one of the most piss-poor shots I've seen a pro hit in some time. I mean, it was – I mean, you look at it and you say, well, he really wasn't that far off. But, but we've talked about this before. Pros do not miss their wedges right very often. I mean, because it means you come and you spin out of it. I mean, to do that on a wedge is not very good whatsoever. And then he bogeys number four, the par five, just a couple of holes later. And then uh, kind of steadies the ship. Birdies nine and ten and 13. Maybe he can get something going on. But then bogeys 15 at the exact same moment that that block makes that hole in one. So, uh, I mean, Woody is kind of the same story different day with Woody or with uh, Rory. He actually did contend in this major, or he looks like he contended in this major. He never really did. He never really put any pressure on him. And I will say, though, it is halfway encouraging that Rory, at least in my opinion, had probably at best his C game, C plus game, maybe B minus if you're being halfway generous. And he still finished top 10 in the major. That shows that at least the talent is still there. I don't know if you guys saw the interview that it was Paul McGinley on the. Um, Golf Channel was talking about Rory. He made a really cool point. He was talking about how Rory can't help himself, like how involved he's gotten with this PGA Tour against the lip. How he became the spokesperson. And McGinley is saying that it's his own fault. He wants to be that guy. He wants to be involved in everything and every part of every discussion on anything and everything. He probably needs to get a little bit back to playing golf and not worry about all that other stuff. And if he does, we all know how talented he is. But guess what? Here we are again. Another major's just gone by, and what'd he do? 
yeah, he's not getting the top ten, but he's not winning them, and he's really not even competing. Last year at the, the Open Championship, when he had the lead and gave it away, that's the last one he really looked like he had a chance to win. Other than that, when is when has he really shined? He's backdoored a lot, but he's never been where he's where we thought he was going to win the major, did he? No, you're right, and I think a lot of people probably think we're too hard on Rory, but to be honest, I hold Rory to the standard that I hold Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and a Brooks Kepka and a, and a Dustin Johnson. Those guys are the guys with the most talent in professional golf, in my opinion. And I'm probably missing one or two guys there, but Rory is in that group. But it just seems like those guys have figured out how to close out golf tournaments and get off to good starts in golf tournaments where they have to, right? And it just doesn't seem like Rory has put himself in those positions enough. And when he finally is in position like we saw at the Open Championship last year against Cam Smith, he he folded because it's a foreign feeling to him now because he hasn't won a major championship now since 2014. It's been so long, T-Dub, since he won a major championship that guess what? They're going back to Valhalla next year for the PGA Championship. He hasn't won a major since last time they were at Valhalla for the PGA Championship. And the reason being is because, yes, he has all the distractions around him. And yes, he's struggled with the wedge play, you know, a few years ago. And then this last, you know, what, three years he's struggled with the putting and hasn't had the confidence there. But different weeks like this week he almost gained a half shot on the greens if I would have told you that you would have said yeah Rory's gonna contend but the problem is he makes stupid mistakes like he made today on number two that don't seem that big to the the average golf fan that doesn't have the trained eye but those little mistakes of making a bogey there where you could have given yourself a birdie opportunity and really even if you don't make that birdie you can settle into the round and it just seems like he tries to force the issue way too much where a guy like a Brooks Kepka or John Rahm like we saw at Augusta National they don't do that they they really don't and that's why we haven't seen Rory McIlroy hoisting a trophy since 2014 T-Dub it's almost a decade well it's just he just does things that you don't see from guys that are winning major championships as you mentioned with, with Kepka and all that and I mean I'm a huge Rory McIlroy fan I mean with the exception of Tiger Woods and, and, I mean, guys that I grew up with and know personally. I mean, he's probably my second favorite uh, golfer. I mean, I, I, I've loved watching Rory. I was a big, huge fan of him ever since he was 17 years old and he was featured in a Tiger Woods game. I'm like, this guy, this kid's going to be elite. He's going to be a superstar. And he came out, and he was. He signed a huge $100 million Nike deal, or was it $200 million? Whatever it was. It was absolutely an astronomical amount of money at the time. And then he had that horrible year in 2013. Then he had the great year in 2014 where he won – the two majors, so you think, well, he's gonna ha- he's gonna get the double digit majors at some point, and I mean, we've tick we've TikTok about a decade now, and and here we are. So we- he's got the exact same. It's honestly pretty surprising, and I mean, he's had his he's had his chances in his high finishes for sure. I mean, as Woody had mentioned, I mean, he didn't, with the exception of last year at the Open. I mean, and he was in the final group, I believe, the 2018 Masters with, with Patrick Reed, and kind of faltered there. Um, but uh, I mean, you even look at it last year, he finished third, fifth, eighth, and second in the majors. So I mean, he's he definitely has, has had some high finishes in there, but just for whatever reason has not been able to get the job done. And uh, will his time come? I, I, I think that he's just too talented to not win another major 
at some point. But Woody, the clock just keeps on ticking. And uh, if he keeps worrying about his whoop statistics more than he is getting the ball in the damn hole, I feel like he's going to have an uphill battle, especially uh, to to, uh, complete the career grand slam, which I know is number one on his uh, gold list right now. Maybe he should take a page from Michael Block that he played with today and fall back in love with the game of golf and enjoy it and quit quit trying to – I don't know what he's trying to do. If I knew that, I'd, I'd tell him. But I'm, I've never been that big a Rory McIlroy fan, so it doesn't actually bother me. He hadn't won one in 10 years. What it does show you guys in golf, it's hard to tell you this guy, oh, this guy's the next superstar. We all got spoiled with Tiger Woods. We never saw anybody could focus like that other than Jack Nicklaus. We don't see that in today's player. They just don't focus 24-7 every time they're playing in a golf tournament. They just don't do it. So hard to say we're going to see double digits out of even Brooks Kepka. We don't know where he's going to go, but it's, I just don't see where anybody can be. We can just pick a guy out there playing right now. Oh, yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, you, you guys both make a lot of good points there. T-Dub, you were joking about the whoop statistics, right? I mean, the number for Rory earlier this week was three and a half, which was how many degrees too hot his skin temperature was when he woke up on Friday morning. But, you know, I think he needs to stop worrying about things like that and start worrying. And, and if this wasn't a wake-up call today that now Brooks Kepka has more major championships than Rory McIlroy, I don't know what is for Rory McIlroy. I do think that he has, obviously, the talent to win multiple more major championships, but I don't know that he has the talent between the ears to do that, fellas. And I think it's going to be interesting going forward to see how Rory McIlroy responds. But I feel like we've been having this conversation after every single major championship. So I think it's going to be interesting to see going forward, considering that this one where Brooks now surpasses Rory McIlroy for amount of majors, that has to be a wake-up call uh, to a guy that is obviously competitive in Rory McIlroy. Speaking of dollar signs, T-Dub, can you give me the payouts for this week at the PGA Championship? I'm curious. Yeah, so uh, according to the Sports Illustrated article I'm reading, right here, Bruce Kepka is the winner at $3.15 million, which is uh, you know, which is about half a million dollars less than an elevated PGA Tour event and about $1 million less than a live event. So I find that that's pretty... Uh, interesting. And then uh, second place, Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, 1.5 million. T fourth, uh, the guys you were mentioning earlier, 720K. Uh, T seven was 527,000. Uh, T nine, 424,000. Uh, we mentioned it earlier for anyone that missed it, Michael Block, uh, the, uh, the the club pro, got 273K. Um, I feel like that uh, the state of California, the state of New York, where he won the tournament, is going to take a decent amount of that. So that, that does suck for him in that aspect, but uh, still a pretty good paycheck. And uh, as you were saying earlier, Sam, it would take him a hell of a lot of lessons um, to earn that much money. No doubt about that. We should also mention uh, that the guys uh, that finished in the top 10 of this golf tournament, Cam Smith, uh, finished at one under par along with Patrick Cantlay and Justin Rose. Those three guys tied for ninth place. Cam Smith today, five under par on the round gained four and a half shots, over four and a half shots on the greens. The guys like Steph Curry from three when he has a putter in his hands. Fellas, I want to dive a little bit into what we think 
that this win for not only Brooks Kepka, but it's undeniable. I think it's a story in the game of golf that this is a huge win for the Live Golf League. The fact that this is really their first major champion, even though, I mean, people who are in the know know that Cam Smith, that deal was done before the Open Championship. He just did not want to uh, make it public until after the Open Championship because of he wanted to play in the Tour Championship after that, and he wanted to play in the playoffs, and he wanted to do a lot of stuff after that that they ended up not letting him do anyways. But T-Dub, what do you think or what changes do you think might happen as a result of this major championship win from Brooks Kepka, who is a player on the Live Golf League. Do you think that we're going to see a change in the official world golf ranking? I mean, Brooks Kepka finished second T-Dub in the Masters, was the 44th ranked player in the world headed into this PGA, and he goes out there and wins it. We see what's happening you know, with Taylor Gooch and the USGA. He's won twice on Live so far this year, and now he's not even getting into the U.S. Open. There's a lot of different things. Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, ranked outside the top 80 in the official world golf ranking. When are we going to say, as a golf community, that enough is enough, that we need to use common sense and the best players need to play each other in these major championships. Obviously, we're recording this podcast, T-Dub, on Sunday night, right after the PGA. So I don't have the television numbers, but I guarantee you they were great again. And whether people like it or not, the live versus the PGA Tour storyline is massive, and I guarantee you it's driving eyeballs to the game. And like T-Dub, you've been preaching since the beginning, these tours can coexist, but we have to allow the top 10 at least on live to get into every single major championship. And I think that this Brooks Kepka win affirms that. I really do. Well, I feel like there's, there's a few things that it really changes in the immediate future. One is that I mean, unless I'm missing the exemption thing that he qualified for, Brooks was running out of status. I mean, his last win was the 2019 U.S. Open PGA and uh, whatever. So that was the five-year exemption that he had. So, I mean, that, that would have ran out for, for at least the other major championships. So he'll have at least five more years in every major uh, going forward. And I believe he'll have 10 more in the PGA Championship. So that's uh, good for him. Another thing is that uh, I don't know if we were talking about this on air or off air. I can't remember. But I believe this moved him up to second in the Ryder Cup point standing. So... I mean, it's almost assured that he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team, which, I mean, I think that we all thought even just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, are any of these guys going to be picked? Because we didn't think there was a chance that they could have qualified on points, but Kepka's gone out and second at the Masters winning the PGA Championship almost has solidified his spot, be guaranteed. And with how he's going to do in the, in the next two majors coming up, I feel like that he could uh, – I don't know if he can catch Scotty Scheffler in the points list, but I do feel like that he's going to definitely be in the top six. And at that point, even Zach Johnson came out and said, you're not going to be able to uh, to keep him out if he qualifies. I just feel like it would be an absolute crime if Kepka keeps this up and isn't uh, on the team at that point. But I feel like the, the simplest change you can make, really the, the simplest thing would be is that either the OWGR needs to give live world ranking points or you just uh, replace the OWGR with a more updated ranking system like the data golf rankings or the TUR ratings. And, and there's some other ones that you could use as well but Woody I do feel like that that really there needs to be change but I feel like the change that's needed really is not that damn difficult well it's not but it's also not that difficult for the Democrats and the Republicans to get along but they have trouble doing it don't they <laughs> uh so the power 
to be a world world ranking point. That group of guys, guys, they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do that. They're going to they're going to stick their head in the sand until the cows come home. You know what I mean? <laughs> so now, Woody, say I, they I, do do that though. Well, when are the if, fans? If, when are the fans? Maybe the, the fans have never been a part of the discussion. By the way, it's always been about money. No. Whether you're talking about live or the PGA Tour, but my point is, right. when do us as a golf community come together and say we need the best players in every single major championship? And this is no exhibition. These are no washed up players on live. You know, there, there's no yeah. brainwashing anymore. You can't fake winning a major championship, right? I mean, he just won well, the PGA. I'm, I'm, I get it, Sam. I, I, I totally get it. What would really help live golf is if a major network took it on board. If you could get a CBS, NBC, or, or ABC even to take on live and televise it on a national network, I think it would, I think it would change it then. I think it would change it off. You know what I mean? I, I really do think it would. I think it just both like gangbusters. Then I think then it would force everybody's hand. I, I I guess what we've always said: calmer minds have got to get together. I, I made a joke about Republicans and Democrats. They're never going to get along. These guys could get along. They could figure this out. Okay, Jay Monahan could figure this out. Greg Norman could figure this they could figure this out they we just need the fans of america and the fans of golf around the world for that matter need to force these two guys or these two tours to get it together and let's get this thing straightened out come on this is crazy it's just crazy now t-dub i guarantee you jay monahan in the back of his mind is saying to himself, damn, I wish I just would have taken the deal on the fall series with the Live Golf League. <laughs> and now, now they are a legitimate competitor where two out of the last three major champions play on a different tour than the one Jay Monahan is the commissioner of. Are they ever going to have a merger in your mind? Or do you think that we're just going to keep arguing until guys like a, a Taylor Gooch or even, you know, younger guys like a Eugenio Lopez Chikara and, and Joaquin Neiman and we go on down the list already not having guys like a Charles Howell or a you know a Peter Uline in the majors that's not good for golf when are we going or what is going to happen because it has to happen eventually right or am I the only one in the golf world with common sense or at least no skin in the game where my paycheck doesn't depend on me defending one side or the other but do I think there'll be a merger? No, I do not. I feel like the PJ Tour has been way too stubborn on this deal. I mean, would they have loved to go back in time and take the uh, the fall series deal that was there? I mean, absolutely. I mean, they're losing sponsors left and right right now. And I mean, it's kind of sad to see, honestly. I mean, I feel like that even though we've been such big lip performance, we don't want the PJ Tour to die and crumble away. And uh, I do feel like that really just what needed to be acknowledged was changes that need to be made. I feel like that the players didn't feel like they were being compensated fairly because there was only one show in town and now there was two and as we've seen over the last year, there have been substantial changes made on the PJ Tour. A lot of them good, some of them uh, not so good. So, but no, I feel like these two tours can coexist just fine as long as as long as Liv sets their schedule and kind of tailors it around what the PJ Tour is doing. I mean, obviously, you don't have any Livs during major weeks and don't have any of them during elevated PJ Tour events. Or if you do, at least just have one or maybe two at most, and just go to locations where, like Tulsa here in Oklahoma or in Australia, where we know communities 
are thriving for golf. So, no, I, I don't think there's going to be a merger. In all honesty, I hope there's not a merger. I think right now, this last year has been, in my opinion, the best that golf, at least viewership, has been and probably of all time. And because you get great golf tournaments every single week, no matter what. And it's, at least for me, Woody, it's been a beautiful thing to see. I mean, if there is going to be a merger and all the players come back together, I mean, I, that will be a, a good thing as well. That would definitely not hurt the game at all. But at least right now, I feel like there's more golf spread out more good golf spread out to, to more ways to uh, to watch it and more golf courses. So, at least for me, this last year has been overwhelmingly success. I, I agree. We've gotten to see just the fact we got to go to Tulsa and see that up close and personal, which we would have never done that because PGA Tour doesn't come to Oklahoma. So, has it been a bad thing? No. I think, guys, in a perfect world, what you probably have is 100, 110 of the best players in the world all playing very elevated events. And then maybe not quite as many guys keep their playing privileges. They got to go to the corn ferry or wherever and work back to that. In a perfect world, that's what I could kind of see. But I think the PGA is going to really screw up next year when they go to 70 guys or whatever that number is and no cut. I think they're really messing up right there. I really do. All that's going to do is, to me, give Lib more validity. And that's the last thing PGA Tour is trying to do, but they're, they're actually trying to figure out how to back right into themselves and keep Lib around, I think. That's what I'm seeing. Well, but they had to go to limited, limited field, no-cut events to keep the top players happy, Woody, and otherwise they're, they're just scared of losing those top players to live. I think that another big change you're going to see, at least on the live side, because of this Brooks Kepka win at the PGA, is you're going to see sponsors start sponsoring live. I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, sponsors either start sponsoring golf tournaments on live or teams on live. And you're going to start seeing that more and more. And like T-Dub mentioned, and you can dive into it more, T-Dub, you follow it closer than I do, but the PGA Tour setting a bad precedent you know, not doing business with anybody, you know, or at least with Raytheon, who does business in Saudi Arabia. Ironically, their biggest sponsor, FedEx, I'm reading this on newsroom.fedex.com. FedEx expressed to invest more than $1.5 billion in Saudi Arabia. I mean, the hypocrisy that is going on, and, and you know, we started off and the goalposts have moved on this whole deal, T-Dub, where it started off and it was all about politics and the live players were washed up. And now we realize that the PGA Tour sponsors are doing business with the exact same people that live is obviously doing business with. And then now... Live has validity in the fact that not only is the PGA Tour going to limited field no cut events, talking about encore stuff. Well, now they Live has two out of the last three major champions, and I think eventually and in the near future we're going to start seeing more sponsors go from the PGA Tour to Live, or at least new sponsors go to Live, which is only going to bolster what Live is trying to do. I I, I really think that this was a massive win for Live. Uh, through Brooks Kepka's win at the PGA. I really do, and I, I think that's undeniable. Well, you mentioned the, the Raytheon deal on the PGA Tour. For anyone who's not aware, uh, AT&T is dropping their sponsorship at the Byron Nelson, which was last week. And so Raytheon, which is a, a defense uh, military contract company, they, they do all the, the missiles and the computer systems, things like that. 
and uh, they were going to be the sponsor for the Byron Nelson. PJ Tour essentially shut it down because they're making missiles for Saudi Arabia, and I'm a proud Raytheon stockholder. I mean, when I heard about them selling missiles to Saudi Arabia, did I sell my stock? No. You know why? Because I like money, and, and they're money-making, and they would have been good for the PGA Tour to get more money involved in the golfing community. But Jay Monahan being stubborn as hell as he's been throughout the last year, year and a half, or even upwards about ever since he really took the job, in all honesty, has decided that he does not like money on the PGA Tour, and he wants to uh, think that everything can be done um, by himself and they can be the moral principal on this whole deal. And, I mean, I mean, Woody, if we start getting to a point to where we want to trace every single dollar that we find to make sure there's not some sort of bad money or it's not going through some sort of corrupt organization, I feel like there's not going to be hardly any money to go around because there's always some tie back to it if you want to dig far enough. Okay, here's a, here's a good bet for us, guys. I want you two to give me the over-under – how long is Jay Monahan going to be the commissioner of the PGA Tour? What's your over-under? That's a good question, Woody. Well, I think that it's going to be a long time because right now the players have all the leverage, and especially Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy have all the leverage being able to you know, do what they're doing with the TGL and you know, signing all of these top players on the PGA Tour to guaranteed dollars with the the, the golf league that's going to, uh, you know, all of these arenas around the country. And I think that obviously that's how the PGA Tour is getting around, paying these PGA Tour players guaranteed dollars considering they're a nonprofit. They're going through the TGL. Um, but I think that what he, I mean, I honestly think that he's not the commissioner anymore. I think he's just Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods' puppet. Is that, you know, an answer, T-Dub? Is that valid? Yeah, it's a, it's a great meme that went around last year at the players' meeting from um, whatever the movie is with the Somalian pirates, and it's like, look at me, I'm the captain now, and it's, or I'm the commissioner now, and it's Tiger Woods' face. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, did he shut down this Raytheon deal? I'm assuming not. So, I mean, is he in fully in charge? No, but when it comes to the absolutely massive deals, yes, I think Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy, and maybe a select few others, will be in charge. I will say, just looking back on it, Tim Fincham was a, a, the commissioner for, I believe, like 13 years or something like that. Jay Monahan took over in uh, January 2017. So if they last the same amount of time, he'll be there till 2030, Woody. I mean, that seems like quite quite a while to have some uh, pretty uh, pretty not very good leadership at the helm. Okay. So I think for the PJ Tour's sake, I hope that that's not going to be the case. Okay, so guys, what it really is coming down to when you think about it, if the PGA Tour keeps losing sponsors, and Sam, what you said is true, if the Live Tour gets new sponsors, does Jay Monahan deserve to keep his job? T.W., you want to take that one? <laughs> I mean, I don't feel like what he's done up to this point is worthy of an extension by any stretch of the imagination. So, okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the, the, the fairest, uh, you know, objective mind to be saying on that. I just feel like that there's been a lot of decisions over the last so many years that could have been for the best future of the P.J. Tour and probably would not be in a situation that they're in now if it just wasn't for clear, stubborn stubbornness essentially at the end of the day so uh i don't know sam you go ahead and give your take uh, but I, i'm going to go ahead and plead the fifth on this like i said i i just think that jay monahan is kind of the mouthpiece for what the players want and that's i honestly think that he's not making any big time decisions for the pga tour right now because the players have all the leverage it takes one rory mcelroy or one you know xander shoffley or john rom or justin thomas to say i'm going to live to flip the scales to absolutely even as far as the strength of field goes and i think that he's just so worried about that happening that he's going to cater to all of the players interests woody i, I think that that's i, I know i'm kind of copying out that's a simple answer but i think that's exactly what's happening 
Well, and that could be just what happened. I just think at some point when you're doing a job that is so poor, I, I don't care who you are. You got to look around. As, if I'm a member of the PGA Tour, I'm going to say, guys, if this is the best we got, really, I don't give him, I give him two, maybe three years top. Hey, I don't think that that's crazy. And and to be honest, he, he probably doesn't deserve to be the commissioner right now, considering everything that we just went through. We could talk for hours upon hours about that, um, but kind of drawing it back into this 2023 PGA Championship at Oak Hill, fellas, before the round today on the radio show on 98.1 WWLS, the sports animal. By the way, if you don't listen to the radio show, it's 10 a.m. to noon every single Sunday here in the Oklahoma City area on the sports animal. But we had a discussion at the very top of the show, T-Dub, about how this PGA championship could possibly be a revolutionary tournament in the game of golf. And we've kind of gone through what we might think you know, happens in the future and how, you know, Brooks Kepka joining the guys that have won five major championships, T-Dub. But at the end of the day, and now we have let it sit in a little bit that Brooks Kepka won the PGA today. How do you think you'll remember this PGA? To me, it will be a very, very memorable major championship, more than normal to me. I think that this is one of those we look back on and say, well, that was the 2023 PGA. I really do. Well, I think a lot of it depends on what happens within the next how many ever years because let's say Victor Hovland goes out and wins at the U.S. Open and then rattles off, let's see, three or four more by the time his career is done. You look at this tournament and say, well, this is a big learning experience for him because he was in the final group, had a great chance up until the 70th hole of the tournament, or then let's say first Kepka goes out and wins a couple more majors, and you'll look at this one and saying this is where he started to come back from a, a serious knee injury, and, and if he does do that, he'll get pushed up into the upper echelon uh, even higher than he is right now. I think there's even kind of looking just off of it quickly, I think he's a borderline currently a top 15 player of all time just based off his major record. So, uh, And then Oak Hill really, really kind of stole the show, in my opinion, with the exception of Michael Block. I mean, I feel like that's going to be the other thing because I don't feel like that we're going to see a club pro finish inside the top 15. I, I would guess within the next 20 years. I don't know. Maybe you'll have some kind of fluke thing, but that is not something that happens on a very regular basis whatsoever. So I don't know, Woody. I feel like there's going to be time to tell on this. Um, I feel like when it comes to the actual overall landscape of golf, I don't feel like anything's going to change on that until the entities that have that power of B are going to be forced to do it. So maybe is this going to be the start of some changes on that with Liv getting ranking points and things like that potentially. But uh, I feel like that's still going to be a little ways away just until their hand is forced and then they're going to have to uh, take that chance. But, uh, I mean, just a great play that Bruce Kepka also showed this afternoon, I feel like is going to be something that uh, definitely resonates with me because just the overall control of his golf ball, with the exception of a couple drives, I saw here and there, and just a dog mentality to go out and barbie three of the first four holes and say, I'm going to go win this son of a bitch. And he he damn sure did. I mean, he played exceptionally well down the stretch. And uh, did Hovland have a chance there? Absolutely. But, um, I mean, it, it, Hovland's time is coming, Woody. It just was not this week. It will come, and Kepka was just dominating. And so we've had Masters this year where we, we really did have live guys right there again. We've had the PGA, a live guy wins. We have two others in the top ten or two in the top five like we did at the Masters. If we go to the Open and we see it again, and then we go to the British Open, if we see it again, I think at some point you can't keep not recognizing these guys. I don't care 
how bad they try to hide it. You can't hide it, right, guys? And and CBS, give them credit today. They they didn't bash on them. They didn't really say anything about Lyft. They just talked about Brooks Skepka. We all know it was Lyft. We all know these guys are good. The golfing public, good, bad, or otherwise, they got to understand they need to be part of this. And if they keep finishing these high in the, this high in these majors. I think that's the story I get out of this. We're two in, and we did this at the Masters. We talked about how good it was, and now we're doing it at the PGA. If we do it at the Open and then the British Open, uh-oh. You know, when did we all go? This is real. Yeah, you, you pretty much stole the words out of my mouth, uh, Woody. To me, this PGA Championship win for Brooks Kepka is a massive win for Liv for many reasons, but a lot of it was leading up to this moment, right? I mean, you had yeah. Liv gain validity at the Masters with Brooks and Patrick Reed and Phil Mickelson finishing in the top four. And obviously, I mean, you know, you had the Open champion go to Liv over the offseason. I'm, I'm starting this year, but then you had at Liv Adelaide, you had the people you saw that at least Australia was accepting the concept and that the concept does work when people accept it. And now you have the first guy that is playing on live currently win a major championship. There's just a lot of affirmation there as far as live goes that I think is going to make, it's going to force some of these people with powers hands in the near future. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's just bound to happen if you keep having live guys like this week. You mentioned, Woody, you had Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, both in the top four of another major championship. Brooks obviously holding a trophy at the end of the day. Cam Smith, you know, with the top 10 at this major championship as well after winning the Open last year. It's just a bunch of affirmations of what we thought at the beginning of this, and I think that that's kind of how I'll remember this major. As far as the non-live aspect to this major championship, this is one of those majors where it puts a guy in a different realm of history. When you start saying, you know, Brooks Kepka's name along with those of, you know, Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas, as far as the, you know, PGA goes, or as far as, you know, the five majors goes, Seve Ballesteros, those are legends. And I feel like Brooks Kepka is one of those legends, Woody, of my generation, T Dub's generation, where we look back and we tell our grandkids about how dominant and how much of a dog Brooks Kepka was when he was in contention to win major championships. And to be honest, I will remember this major championship for Brooks Kepka, not necessarily for what CBS was trying to shape the narrative as of, you know, he was in such a low place and all of this during full swing. He was unhealthy. He was injured, fellas. And I'm not going to remember him being in a low place, but it's a heck of a comeback. But I am going to remember this comeback a little bit more for the fact that he didn't get the job done against John Rahm. And in his very first major after that Masters T-Dub, he gets the job done, learned from his mistakes, and silenced all the people that thought that, oh, Brooks Kepka just can't play 72 holes anymore. Oh, he's not on the level of a guy like John Rahm. By the way, 
John Rahm obviously has two majors. The guy that beat him at the Masters that everyone says, and he is the number one player in the world. Brooks Kepka has three more majors than that guy that stared him down at the Masters, and he goes out in his very next major championship and makes a statement. That's how I'll remember it for Brooks Kepka as the person. Well, and the biggest thing is that I don't think he's done winning them. So, I mean, could, could we look back on it and this be his uh, 2014 at Valhalla for Rory where it's like, man, it's been quite a while since Brooks got another one. I don't think that's going to be the case. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like he's going to get another one at some point. And Woody made a good point on the radio show this morning. I feel like that if he can win either an open championship or at the Masters, that's going to even elevate him even more because if he just keeps winning the U.S. Open and PGA, yes, it's going to be an, an absolute accomplishment. It's going to keep moving him up. But, yeah, he's still not going to be known as the overall complete player if he could just get the third third leg of the career grand slam and even potentially uh, win the son of a buck at the end of the day. So, uh, But, no, the likes of players that he joined with Seve Ballesteros, Peter Thompson, Byron Nelson at five, and, uh, I mean, even he passed the likes of guys like that he was tied with, like Rory, Ernie Yells, Raymond Floyd, uh, to have four majors. And then there's a whole list of players who have three majors that he's he, who I think everyone would consider Hall of Famers and absolute legends. So, no, he's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think just off a quick look, he's a, you could argue he's about the 15th best player of all time currently, which, Woody, for someone who's only currently 33 years old, is pretty damn impressive. It is, and he's not done. You guys are right. Sam hit on a really good point a minute ago. He's talking about down there at Adelaide, how out in Australia, everybody just loves that concept and everything else. Guys, we in America, I, I mean, when you say football around the world, it's not NFL. It's soccer, okay? When you talk about racing cars, it's Formula One. It's not NASCAR. But in America, we think we got everything figured out. Why, I don't know. We were uh, we became a country in the 1776. That's, we're really young, and we're full of ourselves. So to think there's a, a different mousetrap or a better concept out there with this league play and stuff like that, get out of the box. <laughs> Try to enjoy it. I can't wait to see T-Dub because I want my raincoat, my range goat t-shirt i'm i'm gonna wear it proud okay i hope you guys are wearing all your stuff okay i don't want this pga to remember as a live player one i want it to be remembered that brooks Kepka is a world-class athlete that plays golf and plays it really really good why do we have to put any tag on him he's twenty people that's all that have ever done that playing golf you don't have to be on a live a pga or anything else He's just a really good golfer. No, he really is. And what do you touch on something that we'll end the show with? I think that Brooks Kepka might be the most athletic golfer of all time, and he's really the epitome of the modern game. And Brooks Kepka, five major championships, did it a completely different way than Seve won his five, or, you know, like we could go on down the list of those guys, but he is the epitome of the modern game and he is going to be one of those guys that we look back on and wonder why didn't we give him the amount of credit and I think that part of that is him coming after Tiger part of that is him battling the injuries part of that is him going to live now Um, but at the end of the day we're going to look back on his career when he retires and be like wow that guy had some game and like you said Woody Brooks Kepka is the 2023 PGA champion at Oak Hill and that's how I'll remember this I'll remember it for Brooks Kepka T-Dub any final thoughts on this week at Oak Hill 
I think it was really an overall successful week in almost every realm of endeavor. I mean, it was a great champion, gone out and got his, got his fifth major at this point, which is, I mean, we keep talking about it, but it's just such, such a great accomplishment to be had. I mean, you had the likes of Phil Mickelson making his 100th cut in a tournament, which was, or in a major, which is absolutely, absolutely stellar accomplishment. You had, uh, you had the club pro making it in the top 15, which with a hole in one on the 69th hole of the tournament. I do believe that I was hearing earlier in live from that he does, he did get a sponsor's exemption in the next week at the Charles Schwab at Colonial. So it's going to be cool to see Michael Block down there playing. But, uh, I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, it's, uh, this is just going to be, uh, I think there's a good chance we look back on this and say this is when Kepka finally started to turn around. He went on another, um, sort of tirade that he did, um, back in 2017 and 2019. And the, the reason that we don't look back on him in such high esteem as, or at least we have it up to this point, is just because he hasn't played as well in the PJ Tour. Even before he went to live, we look at it and just say, well, he always didn't play up to the, to the non-majors and he didn't. So it's just such a unique experience to see because no other player in, your in the mind, game is off as really. In your, in your mind, do you think that's a big deal? As when we compare him to the I legends? Do. Well, it's interesting. It's kind of the opposite of like a Greg Norman, right? I mean, Greg Norman only won two majors, but he was world number one for like, what, 250 weeks or something like that. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. So it's like, would you rather have Greg Norman's career or Brooks Kepka's career? And I feel like at this point, you'd probably rather have uh, Brooks Kepka's career. I mean, five majors, I feel like at the end of the day, is going to look a lot more stellar on that. But I mean, Greg was still a hell of a player. It's just, it's interesting to see if there's two different dynamics on that. It's just been a dynamic that we haven't seen. Usually it's the case of a guy like a Greg Norman wins all the time the PJ Tour and around the world but isn't able to get it done in the big tournaments. It's just literally the exact opposite for whatever reason. I think it's clearly just motivation. And as you mentioned, I think, do think he is either him or Dustin Johnson, especially, uh, I mean, over over our lifetime and definitely of all time because golfers are more athletic now than ever, would go down as the most athletic golfer, at least at this point. And it probably gets a pass in the next 10 to 15 years just because these kids coming out now are just absolute freaks of nature, which uh, that guy could be a tiger effect to some extent. But, uh, but no, I don't think it's a knock against him at all. I just think that it shows that uh, – he, he's such a gamer in that aspect, and when he's firing it on cylinders, he's one of the best players to have ever teed it up. Woody, any final thoughts on any of that? Congratulations to Michael Block that he's getting to go and uh, play another golf tournament. I can't imagine the high he's on this week that he'll play any good. But um, And congratulations to his club out there in uh, California that they're going to let him go play another week. That, that, that makes me happier than anything that some goofball in back there going, well, he had a lesson with me on Wednesday. He's going to go play golf again. Um, he, I, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen to the poor guy. But kudos to him. And it was a, I, what a great week. That's all I can take from this. I loved it. No doubt about it. Speaking of next week, we will be covering the Colonial uh, on our podcast on Wednesday. We'll also be covering uh, Live DC, which is coming up next week as well. Brooks will be in that field as well, up at Trump National, a uh, course that I played, ironically, in the PGA Junior, which is run by the PGA of America. So I have some insight into that course as well. That'll be interesting. Um, and we'll get into a lot more stuff uh, as far as college golf goes on Wednesday as well, recapping the regionals and previewing uh, later on this month the NCAA National Championship 
coming up at Greyhawk. Thank you to T-Dub. Thank you to Woody. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. If you are not on golfoklahoma.org and you live in the area, you are missing out on all of your local golf news. Kim McLeod and Chris Wofford doing a heck of a job up in Tulsa covering everything, whether it's high school, college, professional golf in the state of Oklahoma. Definitely go to golfoklahoma.org and definitely go hit that subscribe button on the 73rd Hole Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We are right there on the sportsanimal.com as well as the front page of golfoklahoma.org. Hit the subscribe button. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out. And follow us on social media at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram as well. We'll see you guys Wednesday here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast.